that's one of the one of the beautiful things about you know this this particular uh, line of work. Everything's new and different every single day. The environment may have changed. You know, the trees and all of the all of the uh, plants m- may be in more or less the same position as they were the day before. But all of the wildlife, it's, the weather, it's it's all changed. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Jensen Willingham. What's up, man? Uh, not too much, man. I'm just uh, doing the podcast and uh, getting the story out there. You, I just found out, got your first seasonal job from a different place than I've ever heard before. But it shouldn't be that surprising. It was Craigslist. Tell me how that happened and where it went from there. That is a surprise to most people. Uh, when I tell them in my line of work uh, during during the summertime, a lot of people ask how I got into seasonal lifestyle. And when I tell them that I got it from Craigslist, they uh, they they tend to get a uh, an odd look on their face, tilt their head like a dog that doesn't understand something. And then they're like, "Well, how did you do that?" Well, early uh, early in 2016. I was working back in North Carolina as a uh, concessionaire for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, selling hot dogs and overpriced bottles of water at their sporting events. And as you can imagine, that's that's a little bit mundane and boring. I had done that for four years prior to that. Basically, I was looking into getting a job uh, closer to my grandmother in uh, East Tennessee and uh, so I started browsing around on uh, different job sites and remembered an old co-worker from uh, UNC had told me to uh, maybe check out Craigslist if I was ever looking for a new job. And lo and behold, uh, Boone, North Carolina, located in the eastern part of the state in the mountains, I was looking for a job on their Craigslist pages. And page six or seven led me to my first seasonal employment opportunity with Alaska Travel Adventures in Ketchikan, Alaska. And uh, went up there in May, learned how to be a tour guide. That's uh, the great beginning to an incredible career, I'd say. Uh, You got to cut your teeth somewhere. So you go up to Alaska, you know, you spent most of your time in North Carolina. What what was there a uh, sort of culture shock or was there any big differences? Oh man, yeah. There, there were a lot of big differences. Ketchikan uh, that first summer, 2016, was it was my first time away from home. So it was an entirely, an entirely different experience than anything that I had ever done before. I think that summer it definitely taught me a lot. Uh, I definitely learned a lot. I met a lot of cool new people. I was introduced to this uh, this lifestyle uh, that a lot of people live and enjoy, and I definitely uh, I definitely wouldn't be the same person had I not have stumbled across that Craigslist post 
those three years ago. What are some of the things you learned that first summer? Uh, one of the biggest things was uh, you have to make compromises with uh, your situations that you find yourself in um, whenever you're away from home and you're working in a different environment, you're learning new things. You definitely, definitely need to stay on your boss's good side, which uh, that first summer, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think our boss that first summer had a good side. Ever since he picked me up from the, the Revilla Gigato side of the ferry two hours late, that first night in Ketchikan, I kind of thought that my summer was uh, was on a downward turn, but living with some very supportive people and some very friendly people uh, in employee housing, actually, was a fantastic way to uh, to basically overcome that little uh, that little hurdle. So you've been back to Ketchikan a few years now. What are all the different jobs you've had up there? Uh, my first season was the Alaska Travel Adventures uh, Jeep and Canoe Tour Guide. I guided their uh, canoe-only tours and also uh, spent time guiding their Totem Bite State Historical Park and canoe tours. Then my second year, uh, I went back. I was the only returning employee at Alaska Travel Adventures Ketchikan from the 2016 season. I basically did the, the the same tours and had another fantastic summer. It was with a different different boss, different manager, and then uh, latest uh, this or this last uh, this last summer, uh, twenty seventeen. Uh, I worked as a deckhand for a flight seeing company, and in Ketchikan, Alaska, one of the uh, one of the the top things to do, and actually even in the state, is to go see the Misty Fjords National Monument. And Ketchikan has a lot of float plane companies um, because it's considered a hub in the southeast. And so all of these other little towns uh, on these islands, they rely on float planes to get uh, a lot of the necessary things that we kind of take for granted uh, when we're back in the lower 48, like their mail, for instance. And so... um, Due to the cruise ships that come in and out, there's a great popularity uh, with the flight scene companies. For a certain amount of money, you can charter a plane to take you out for a, a tour and fly around in the misty fjords. And um, that's what my boss did. And I ended up actually guiding his bear viewing tours as well uh, towards the later part of the season. Tell me what a normal day as a bear tour guide, a bear viewing tour guide is. Uh, well, um, to start the day as, well, the bear viewing tour guide and the, the deckhand, I'd come in uh, about an hour before the first tour and I would prep the plane. So untie it, wipe down all of the windows, make sure everybody has a nice, a nice clear window for them to uh, snap some pictures out of and then uh, start the plane, make sure the engine's nice and warmed up. Basically, just hang out and drink coffee on the on the dock and wait for the first tour of the day to arrive. And then um, uh, once they show up with our dock manager and my boss, Randy, uh, Randy Sullivan, um, he shows up. We'd put the plane into the water and we'd fuel it up. Everybody would hop into the plane. We'd give them a brief uh, a safety 
safety spiel about the emergency exits and uh, fire extinguisher locations and life jacket locations. And then we'd uh, we'd get we'd push off the dock and fly out to our bear viewing location. And uh, once there, just dock up, unload everyone, get all of the bags out. I would turn the plane back out and we'd watch him leave, take off, uh, make a, make, make some jokes about a three hour tour. And then, uh, and then we'd, uh, basically walk up and this area that we'd be viewing the bears in was completely away from Ketchikan. There's no road access, but, uh, they have vans out there to, to traverse the old logging roads. And we would hop into the van and drive out to the trailhead and we would walk down to the bear viewing platform all the while i would be telling these people uh information about the flora and fauna uh that they're seeing around them giving them different safety messages all the while looking for bears in bear country and then once on the bear viewing platform we would on a lucky day, uh, we would walk onto the platform and immediately there would be bears uh, down in the creek below the platform feeding out salmon, you know, meandering around doing bear stuff. Hang out there for about two hours, uh, watch the bears do their thing and go back to the dock to get uh, collected by the plane. Sometimes another tour would be already be on the plane and uh, ready for me to guide them. Other times I would just hop back into the plane after everyone was loaded and we would fly back to town. And then at the end of the day, we would ramp the plane, which involves uh, my boss basically going full throttle to get the the float plane out of the water, back onto the dock, uh, and then secured with ropes. And then on a day-to-day basis, these planes have been flying around and landing in salt on salt water and getting sprayed and what have you and metal does not play well with salt water so we'd take about uh, a half an hour and we would just take uh, hoses and spray down every square inch of the plane to make sure that no salt water was left on them usually usually i'd be drinking a beer while i did that so then tie the rest of the plane up uh, put the hood uh, or the cowl cover back over the engine and then make sure everything's locked before you leave. And that's, that's, a, that's a day in the life. What's one of the most memorable trips you had either this season or a season before when it comes to like a tourist acting crazy or just a story that you're like, this is an example of one of the tourists that, you know, was out there? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good question. After three summers of having having done this, um, <laughs> I think the uh, the pool uh, is deep and vast. But I think one of my my favorite my favorite stories from from this season from this season had to have been a tour of two uh, a tour of two two people a mother and her son older older lady older son they were from. I want to say it was Slovakia uh, or another Eastern European country and had very, very little English speaking ability. And it was towards the end of the season and there out at the bear viewing area, we had uh, an interesting conundrum. We didn't have enough salmon in the streams uh, to basically 
uh, coax the bears out to be viewed. Um, according to the other guides uh, that also uh, are out there for other other companies, this year was one of the slowest bear viewing bear viewing years that they had ever experienced or seen. And so, um, for the entire two hours that we're out here, there's no bears. And there's another location um, a little bit further up the logging road that has a lake. And we go up there sometimes and you can see there's a bridge and you can see the fish a little a little closer. There's sometimes the occasional bald eagle that'll fly over. And um, uh, there's also the possibility of seeing bears. And so after not seeing any any bears at the platform for about an hour and a half, attempting to you know, convey why we weren't seeing them. These people were just very disappointed. I was like, ah, this, this is terrible. I'm a, this is a bear viewing tour with no bears. So I was like, well, we can go up to the lake and try that. And we walked back up, got in the van and drove out to the lake. We stay at the lake for about another 30 minutes and it's getting time to be going back down to the dock for a pickup. So I'm like, ah, there's no bears. I'm going to get skunked. And as we're, as we're leaving the, the lake in the van, I actually look over and right next to the road is just forest. It's, it's a rainforest and it's completely encompassing. And, um, on both sides, it's just very thick. And so I look up to the right of the van and I see this bear that's on top of this little ridge, uh, right next to the road. And I immediately stop the van of course, we can't get out the bear that close, but uh, pointed out the bear to them. And the bear eventually came down and crossed the road behind the van. And these people were freaking out. Uh, they were so they were so excited uh, after the bear left us and we made our way back to the dock. My boss pulls the plane up and hops out and it's like, well, how many bears did you see? And I'm like, we saw one. And they're just ecstatic. and. There he's like, oh, well, glad you guys enjoyed it, you know. So it's uh, people people come up and they come out to these various different places where, as a seasonal employee, we get to live and work and enjoy for the entire season, whatever that may be. And you know, they're expecting to see something. When you get to be the person to show them that, that's a that's a that's a very very cool that's a very cool thing to be able to do and be able to own. Yeah. It sounds like an awesome tour, just the buildup and then them seeing the bear getting, you know, what they paid for and all that. My, I think my only critique is the pilot saying, how many bears did you see? That takes a little bit of the magic away, I think. Cause these people are like, Oh, we finally saw one. And then the pilot pulls up and they're like, so how many did you see? And it's like, Oh, well, just <laughs> the one, just the one. <laughs> And well, they're, 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 and uh, you know, that's, a, that's the nature of the industry. Unfortunately, bear, bear season is defined by the season of which you can view bears. I mean, if there's, if there's not any bears to be viewed, um, if they've, they've all kind of meandered off and found their little holes under the trees and gone to sleep. I mean, there's not really a, uh, uh, a very good market for taking people to go see them because you're you're not you want to you want to provide a 
provide a quality tour and a quality experience for for people and certain locations they say oh you're gonna see two or three bears like per tour and this one particular location other guides had told me that the most bears that they had ever seen in one particular viewing uh, and this was some seasons ago was something like 19 bears all at once so um Generally, generally speaking, it's if the bears are out, you can view them. If they're not, you can't. You know, I've I've led a tour that that has not seen a that did not see a bear, unfortunately, and that was the only tour where we didn't see bears for me this season. And uh, I'm thankful it was just that one. Right? Yeah, I just because I sold those tours on the dock, and the one thing you could not do is guarantee bears when i went squid fishing every time we went out the captain was like oh man this is we've got so many this time you know sometimes we only catch a few when we've got 10 or 12 and it's like okay no matter how many we catch you have to say this is the best or this is the most we've gotten so it just you know when he pulls up and he's like so how many did you see it's like uh just the one i guess yeah, uh, but you know, it's and you never right. you never want to lie to people because that's eh. you could be less than forthcoming. To yeah, the <laughs> that, that's a that's a much gentler way to put it. But I mean, there were there were some, and I mean, every time you go out, it's completely different. It's a completely right. different scenario. You never really know what you're in store for. That's one of the one of the beautiful things about you know this this particular uh, line of work. Everything's new and different every single day. The environment may have changed. You know the trees and all the all of the uh, plants m- may be in more or less the same position as they were the day before. But all of the wildlife, it's the weather, it's it's all changed, and um, that has an effect on on tours. Sometimes we'd fly out and there'd be a whale hanging out uh, in the in the waterways uh, underneath our route to the uh, to the bear viewing area and say, "Oh, look, a whale!" and do a couple of circles around it in the air, let let people get some pictures, and then make our way over, you know, spot some seals on the beach or what have you. It's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of these people who come up to Southeast Alaska, they, they've never been outside of a city. They've never, you know, been outside of the continental United States or, you know, they've been abroad to all of these exotic and foreign locations. But Southeast Alaska is its own uh, exotic and far away, sometimes foreign uh, destination. And what we always repeated on the dock, it is not a zoo. No, not a zoo. You do seasons in the winter as well. Tell me a little bit about your winter schedule or the jobs you've done in the winter. The winter schedule, uh, the the summer the summertime gig usually runs with the cruise ships uh, from about May, the beginning of May uh, until the end of September, and then my first my first experience with winter seasonal work came after my first summer. And I actually got referred to a ski resort for chairlift operations by our uh, our friends Andy and Christina. They pointed me in the right direction. Dark side and dark bride. Yeah, 
the the crazy Floridians, uh, they actually pointed me towards uh, Colorado, uh, where I went out to work as a chairlift operator for that 2016-2017 uh, winter season. That was, that was again, uh, very similar to the first season in Ketchikan. I went out to Colorado. I didn't know anyone out 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 there, or know anything about the job other than it was going to be cold and there was going to be more snow than I had ever seen in my entire life. A shitload of people riding on the snow, and uh, basically only uh, a handful of chairlifts to uh, to operate and get them up the up the hill. As far as the first ski resort that you could work at, the one that I I worked at is is one of the best, or at least they they make it they make it look like one of the best. They're really really good at uh, keeping keeping their their stuff together, uh, putting on putting on a nice show for everybody who comes to visit. What were you doing? You were doing the chairlift operator for your first winter, right? Uh, yep, my first and uh, my second winter out in Colorado were spent. Uh, operating chairlifts. Moving on to my third season, uh, which I'm. This is currently my third winter at the same the same ski resort. I actually uh, got or applied for um, a position operating uh, snowcats. So far, it's been a it's been a fantastic season. Been learning a lot. I I seem to have uh, found my way into a very challenging position. Um, but yeah, so far this this winter has been vastly different uh, from the past two. The interesting part about your story is the way that in the last year you've seemingly moved up in the job. So your first summer you were tour guide and then chairlift operator and then tour guide chairlift operator, and then you went to bear tour guide and now mountain groomer. From that move in both seasons how did you make the decision to get those jobs instead of going back to the same ones and what did you learn from that process uh i like to apply the uh the adage um third time's the charm to uh to both of those i found that uh that the places i was going um ketchikan and uh avon they were fantastic places or they both have their their respective pros and cons. And um, a lot of it had to do with the actual people that I had met, um, you know, in, in these places. And basically the way that I looked at it was how can I make my experience better uh, in these places? Uh, I looked at some of the other, the other things that were going on uh, both in Ketchikan and at the ski resort in Colorado. And I said, well, what, what interests me more, you know, what do I want to learn about, uh, or learn more about and learn how to, how to work in that particular industry in these places. I basically applied myself to get to a point where, um, I was in a position to learn more about, uh, those different things and basically, you know, start, to uh, again recut my teeth, basically excel in these different uh, these different uh, jobs. If you don't mind, um, I, the the story of how I got my my uh, winter job or my summer job in in Ketchikan this past this past summer. That basically, I had gone back to work a third season as a Jeep and canoe tour guide 
And uh, I actually was poached by the float plane company. And um, that happened during a, a CPR and basic first aid class. You never know who you're going to meet in one of those. Uh, so always, always be ready and willing to accept a business card. That had a that had been a fantastic opportunity that kind of fell into my lap. And you know, going back for a third season, I I had a car. I knew that I was going to have. I knew what my schedule was going to be. I wasn't in employee housing any longer, and I kind of had the freedom uh, and mobility to be able to you know leave what had been. Uh, a really awesome and amazing job um, that taught me a lot and gave me a lot of experience, but at the same time, wasn't necessarily what I was looking for or what interested me. And so again, uh, that was kind of uh, going into the, my third winter and doing the snowcat operations as opposed to chairlifts. In the past two winters that I've been working at the ski resort, I think the only thing Really, in reality, the only thing that had interested me more than chairlifts was uh, was the snowcats. And so the next logical progression is go after it, apply for the job. And fortunately, I was able to, uh, it's very expensive out here in Colorado and ski towns. And fortunately, I was able to get uh, the employee housing uh, that allowed me to uh, to get the job. feel very fortunate and very lucky uh, to be in the position that I'm in right now. What do you think the coolest job or maybe which which job would you most want to have if you could pick any job that you've ever seen in seasonal work which one do you want the most man that's that's a good question that's um well i mean obviously there's bartending right um and you know plenty about that but um there's a lot of perks for sure yeah lots lots of perks there if I were to if I were to put any put any job out there that I think is one that I would aspire to one day eventually have, I'd probably say uh, becoming a pilot uh, in Southeast Alaska. I, I think right now that's um, you know, potentially what I I may aspire to settle down and actually actually spend time learning and furthering an education on obviously out here in uh colorado and ski country the snowcat operations is is definitely something that requires an extended education and uh, experience base to be able to do well obviously make a little bit more money but um doing the snowcat operations out here would probably probably have to be number two on the list so you've got the number two job, right? Technically. Technically. <laughs> Technically I have the number two job. I I, I operate the snowcats, the, the grooming and laying the nice corduroy. That's not necessarily the snowcats that I'm operating. Have you made any steps towards the uh float plane pilot? Well, my boss and as part of his pitch to hire me on last season or last summer, he had stated that when he was about my age, uh, he had started doing the same thing that I was going to be doing for him, uh, doing the, the deck handing and handling the plane and washing it and, you know, day-to-day maintenance and upkeep. That's how he got into, that's how he got his, his interest in becoming a pilot. You got to start somewhere. Might as well, might as well be a 
pretty close to the bottom, I guess. I guess the the deckhanding part, maybe, but being a bear tour guide is pretty badass. Yeah, and you know, uh, bear season only runs from about mid July until mid September uh, in Southeast Alaska. You know, the rest the rest of the season is the basic gist as, of it is make sure the pilot the pilot's happy, make sure boss boss is uh, content, and make sure the plane is kept up. You gotta put the Put the conditioner on the seats and uh, make sure it's swept out from people getting in and out of the plane. And there's subtle nuances to it. Um, you've got to know how your pilot likes their coffee because while they're out on a flight, uh, you want to you want them to come back to a nice steaming cup of coffee and uh, be able to greet their their next tour with a smile. And then, uh, of course, between the flights, you're running around scrambling to fuel the plane and. Uh, going to pick up the the next tour from the dock can sometimes be a hassle. It's not very hard to find the visitor center, but when you're on vacation, your your mind tends to wander a little bit more uh, than it would on a daily basis. It sounds like you've got it pretty figured out. Did you carry a weapon on the tours? Oh, um, yeah. Um, in addition to in addition to bear spray, I which is obviously for bears. I also have my handgun. Like you said earlier, it's it's you tell these people that it's not a zoo. One of one of my favorite lines to deliver is, you know, this is my bear spray. It's for bears. This is this is my handgun. This is in case you try and touch my bears when I use it on your <laughs> hand. What do you think the seasonal lifestyles taught you about life? I mean, obviously, there's all of these cliches that uh, that have that have come out of seasonal life lifestyle. My seasonal lifestyle. You know, life is what you make it. In reality, that's uh, that's one of the biggest ones. Also, uh, it's uh, it's kind of given me a little a little bit better understanding of the way the world works. It's been a long three years. It's been a fast three years. Uh, can't believe how fast the time has gone by. But having gone out and been in these places and have met these people, you guys and uh, the other seasonal seasonal crowd uh watching them go off to uh to other places uh that they've never been before that I, I certainly have never never been before it's kind of it's kind of humbling at the same time it's difficult for me to find the inspiration to do that i i am a creature of habit I, as as we all know from uh from the summer of 2017 and uh, that miraculous run that I had, but uh, yeah, you I went think, to the asylum, the bar there every day the entire summer. We, I, I'm telling you, man, we, we need a plaque. But uh, I mean, there there are people who live who live in Ketchikan year round who have gone to the asylum for every day for an entire year for a beer. <laughs> but not to downplay the accomplishment or anything. But I think I think one of the biggest. Uh, the biggest lessons that I've learned is to uh, make make your friends, make the friends that you want to make, and try and keep them as close as possible. I've made a lot of good friends out here in uh, in Colorado uh, at the ski resort. Who they're they're kind of in the same shoes in the same shoes as I am when when I started coming out here. Uh, several of them were doing chairlift operations with me, and um, in the past year from 2016 17 to 
2018-19, they've grown as well. And they've kind of stepped up and are doing different things and working for different departments around the mountain. So there is that uh, that type of person who who can just throw everything to the wind and say, hey, I'm going to do I'm going to go here and do this for this season or sometimes even in a couple of cases, just throw caution to the wind and say, hey, I'm going to go here with no plans at all and figure it out. Uh, and spend a season um, or just uh, they say, hey, I'm going to go back to or there's that type of person who says, hey, I'm going to be in this place with these people, but I'm going to be trying to do something different, something uh, that, you know, they're more interested in that, uh, that they find themselves to be a little bit more passionate about in the end, you know, as long as you're as long as you're living and you're you're learning, learning something, something new, and you're enjoying your experiences and the people that you're around. I feel like, I feel like that's the way to do it. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I went to St. Thomas with Ryan and we didn't look anything up before we went. And I had a great season. He ended up going to Wyoming to do dog mushing, which turned out to be really good experience for him. And exactly. Then Two winters later, we went to New Zealand uh, pretty much blind as well. And that was turned out great as well. And now he's married to a Kiwi he met. We both just have wonderful memories of New Zealand. And actually, he's back there this winter. So I think there's ex- examples on both sides of it working out. Just the throwing caution to the wind and just going and also the either planning it out or trying to set up roots and all that. So it really it is, you know, life is what you make it. And um, there are a lot, a lot of different ways of doing it and being successful at it. What does Jensen in five years look like, you think? I've gotten that question a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, Give me the crazier answer. I don't, you know, for maybe your parents or you know, whoever else you go with the easier, you know, less, um, risky one, but give me, give me the, the pure happiness. Everything goes right. It's just a boulevard of green lights. Tell me, tell me where you're at Ah, in five years. That's, that's a long way, but, uh, as far as the time space continuum I've been in, it's, it's not that far off five years, man, everything green lights, perfect. It'd be pretty cool to be settled down with a, uh, a place in Southeast Alaska in Ketchikan, building some experience, flying a, flying a float plane on the other end of the spectrum, being settled down in Colorado for winters would be very cool. And potentially with experience that I've gained on both sides, maybe an adventure abroad for the wilder side of speculation going going somewhere to uh to pursue uh either the flow plane or the snowcat uh operation uh industry uh, one of the one of the two somewhere else in the world would be uh that would be wild to think about perhaps in the cards perhaps not i think the more mundane uh answer for a five year uh a five year plot would be really 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 like to kind of stay stay in this uh in this pattern of uh catch can to avon colorado and you know see where that takes me perhaps find another little resort in a place where i've never been 
um, to go do snowcat grooming operations there. They've got plenty of float plane operations in British Columbia and along the coast there in Canada and a little bit further north up in up in Juneau. But nah, I, I like Ketchikan for the summers. So gonna gonna try and keep keep going there for as long as I possibly can. If you were offered a mountain groomer job in another country for a winter, which which country would you prefer? Well, there are a lot of big mountains over in Europe, lots of snow. Uh, we've heard rumor of uh, somewhere in Switzerland getting uh, nine feet of snow out of a storm. And um, that's a lot of snow. Should I, should I be offered a, a position for cat operations in a different country? I think... I think I might want to do either Australia or New Zealand. They, they call it in the in the ski resort uh, industry, uh, chasing winter, because you go <laughs> straight from winter in the northern hemisphere to winter in the southern hemisphere. I hear I hear that they have not a lot of ski resorts in either uh, New Zealand or Australia, but the ones that they do have are, are, are quality for the southern the southern hemisphere. The third, the third place on my list, or the third country, would probably be Japan. Japan also has uh, a lot of snow for their for their uh, ski resorts that I've seen and uh, done a little bit of research on. Another thing um, that kind of plays into the uh, the ski resort industry and the ability to get one of those uh, dream jobs or progress and you know explore and move move abroad is the fact that you know some of these uh, ski resort companies own 20 20 different resorts or under their uh, their management it wouldn't be hard to you know go to go to one of the higher ups and say hey can you show me the the avenue or the the method of of getting a a job at one of these other resorts say hey yeah here's your application you got to book your flight and everything but they'd be happy to have you and as long as as long as you work you'll be good yeah new zealand australia or japan would be those those three different uh countries that i would want to go pursue uh cat operations in though that storm uh had nine feet of snow was that in uh lax switzerland lax switzerland yeah it sounds familiar so um, my my buddy Lewis Brooks, I actually I just interviewed him a couple of days ago for the podcast. He lives right there on Lax and in, in the snowfields, and he said it was it was crazy. It was like powder up to his chest. Oh yeah, and uh, when that happens, you know you you go out and do what are called extreme snow angels, and these are this is basically where you find uh, you find one of the highest points. Probably, you know, maybe a, a deck uh, like your back porch or if, if you have a one story house, I guess, if it's if it's safe enough, if the snow's deep enough, uh, you climb to the top of the house and, and you jump off and fall into the pot into the powder. If it's enough powder, then it's completely safe. Uh, but right. it's very extreme. He said they were jumping off their house into the snow. Oh, <laughs> lucky duck. Yeah, he well, sounded like it was just heaven. He he couldn't stop talking about it. He was so happy about it. So it sounds like that must have been it. Uh, is there any questions that I didn't ask you that you think maybe I should have? I mean, you didn't want to get any basic biography information like hair color, like like height, weight, favorite favorite color, like 
What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Ice cream flavor, uh, Ben and Jerry's half baked. Nice. That's a that's a staple. You know when I when I can get it. I guess I go. Uh, I'm more of a cone guy. Oh, okay. More, so of, more a, of a bowl guy. So. Yeah. No. Bowl. Bowl. bowl it's nice and nice and clean, but what's, what, what's the fun without a little bit of mess? Yeah, I can hear that. I, to me, I'm not there for the cone. Like there's no cone that I'm like, Oh, I got to have that. You know, it's, I'm yeah. there for the ice cream, but I, I get the cone thing too. True. But as for, you know, height, weight, hair color, I mean, you're on the inside cover of the seasonals magazine this quarterly. Everybody's oh. already going to know what you look like. I, I didn't I didn't know that actually. Well, you will in a couple of days. We, we mailed your magazine out. It's going to get there soon. Oh, fantastic! That's uh, good news. I'll be I'll be on the lookout in uh, at the post office. <laughs> Great. Ryan had bugged me about that, um, and obviously, uh, creating content for for the seasonals is uh, something I hopefully will be able to do more of in the coming summer. I, I've Absolutely love what you guys have done and are doing with it from your your progress uh, from my first season, 2016, uh, up to now has been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, nah, keep keep all of that coming. I want to I want to see more of that. I want to I want to be a part of more of that. And um, I feel like the more people we get, we get uh, reading that and experiencing the seasonal life the better off the better off the world might be well yeah thanks man i think that's a great way of putting it you know getting more of you this summer more of your stuff would be awesome and this podcast episode is going to come out soon so thanks for coming on and it was it was great yeah man i uh i appreciate the opportunity and uh hopefully shed a little bit of light on one one way to do the seasonal life yeah that's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.